Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. Trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I've tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network here as always. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. We got two regulars on the show this week. You know them well by this point. Out East, Fred Katz, Wizards beat writer out West, Anthony Slater, resident Warriors beat writer. But a new arrival to the show, a man who I haven't seen in person in a very long time, just like everybody else. And it's good to see him here on the Zoom link. Derek Bodner, Sixers beat writer. My guy, we, we would love to have you on at any point, but uh, your team is is looking like a title contender. You got some good stuff to write about. What's going on, sir? They are not much uh, doing doing well. I think I'm doing everyone a service by not you not having to see me at all during this <laughs> pandemic. It's maybe the one good thing to come of it, but I am doing well. Come on, we were joking off air about the uh, the art of Zoom backgrounds, and while super producer Andrew Schlecht is is winning. The day, you know, you got some stuff going on behind you. You got a little vegetation. You got some art. I, I see you working there, Derek. Sure, sure. It is what <laughs> I have settled on uh, that I don't completely despise. Yeah. There you go. Well, we're going to get into Sixers. We're going to talk in my neck of the woods a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, about the uh, incredible Sacramento Kings. I think seven of eight at this point. They're on a roll. Uh, is it for real? Is it not? We're going to have a little fun with. Andrew's latest segment idea, the pick a side game, talking everything from Miami, Toronto, Dallas, New Orleans, MVP race, uh, rookie of the year race. We're going to make the rounds, but let's start in Philly. Derek, um, there's so many layers to your situation. Um, I'm going to start with my West Coast bias with the six degrees of, of kind of Doc Rivers impact. And I wonder what your uh, your early feelings about the impact he has had. And, and you know, they go from Brett Brown to Doc and Joel Embiid is uh, is not unlocked, but, you know, kind of in a nuanced way unlocked and, and in a way that has got him in the MVP race. Ben Simmons doing Ben Simmons things. Uh, but start there for me, if you don't mind. What What is real and what is not about the substance than the impact that Doc has had? Yeah, well, I, I think schematically the changes aren't all that dramatic. Uh, you know, they're Joel Embiid's posting up a little bit less. He's facing up a little bit more. Tobias Harris is getting more of his stuff in early offense. Um, but by and large, I think they're running a lot of the same sets, a lot of the same principles that they previously ran. I think if you looked at the biggest impact Doc has had, it's just a night in and night out consistency that they didn't have at all last year. You know, this is a team that went something like 29-2 and two at the Wells Fargo Center. They couldn't win at all on the road. They'd go out on the road, and, and no matter who they were playing, it was almost like they had no shot. And there was an effort level and a consistency that just wasn't there. And so far this year, it has been, uh, with the exception uh, of the one game against the Blazers, uh, where they came back off of a road trip. It was a back-to-back, yada, yada, yada. That was a poor effort. But other than that, they have been focused and giving good effort way more than they did last year. And I think that's probably the number one place I would 
point to dock right now. Because like I said, schematically, there's some minor adjustments. I think in term terms of that, though, it's a lot more of the pieces around Embiid and Simmons that make a lot more sense. You don't have Al Horford, who I like but was a bad fit. You don't have uh, Jason Richardson, uh, Josh Richardson, excuse me, um, who was a real hesitant outside shooter. Jason been might still be able to so shoot, you know what year. I mean? Jason could help. <laughs> you could have helped them. Um, but I think those two pieces were pretty bad fits around Embiid. And I think that was a, a huge deal. But in terms of what Doc has done, I really do think the night in, night out consistency is something they just didn't have last year. Well, I shouldn't have led the witness. It, let me let you grab the microphone. What do you think it is, you know, year over year? Because you mentioned some of the factors there. And outside, outside looking in, the free throw numbers are up. The defense is up. Um, you know, Embiid being healthy and available uh, is obviously a big factor. But, you know, you know that team so well. What has jumped out the most to you? I mean, in terms of what the success is, and we can go back to what's causing it, but Joel Embiid and his passing and his recognition out of the post was something he just didn't have in prior years. And you could always flummox him in terms of sending double teams. And I think part of that is you have much better spacing than you previously had. Before teams didn't have as far to rotate over to, the uh, double teams would come quicker. Now there's more ground to cover up, so I think that helps him. But I think the double teams, um, he is just he has a plan of attack way more than he previously did, and that sort of made the Sixers' entire offense function a lot more smoothly. Uh, like I said, I think I think Seth Curry and Danny Green have been huge additions in that regard. Uh, I think they play off of Embiid much better than they've had probably since the 2017-18 season. But I also think Embiid has just taken a huge step in his understanding and maturity of the game. I think you're seeing a guy who had immense physical gifts, but that understanding of NBA basketball and double teams and rotations and picking that apart, it took a couple years, but I think it's now at a point where it's it's matched his, his skill level and talent. What's Danny Green shooting from three right now? Mid to upper thirties, I want to say. Yeah, it's thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah, that's thirty-seven. It's and it's Danny Green season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Um, it's just the supplementary shooting. I remember was it Seth Curry was like over fifty percent early. I know he had the he coronavirus battle before he went down with the coronavirus, which he he said he's still like he has his he has fatigue up and down. Right before that, he was shooting sixty percent from three. He was he was on a real tear before he got that diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, that changes them. I remember you wrote a story whenever they beat the Pacers. It was probably a couple of weeks ago, and I like w- went in because you had a clip up of uh, Doc Rivers had put uh, Matisse Thibel, uh like it was like a zone, and he was like roving yeah. off the zone. It was it was I thought it was really cool, like a little coaching wrinkle. Um, and then I just sometimes love going into the quote tweets of like fan bases, and like the Sixers fan base was just like, "This is why we got Doc. I'm sold <laughs> on the Doc Rivers experience today." Yeah. What is the feeling around the franchise? Guys, like it, you know, because it's not like the Sixers haven't had good stretches of regular season basketball in the past. Does it feel around there like, hey, like they are much more of a threat as a title contender this season? I mean, going back to your point, they were almost the exact same seventeen and seventeen record at this point last year. And you go back and you think about some of their signature Hold on, wins. Derek, like don't the, kill our narrative here. Don't kill our narrative. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were excited about them last year at this point too. Um, but they killed the Lakers. They killed the Bucks. They killed the Clippers. Like they they had real good wins. It was consistency that was a problem. Uh, and, and late season, um, you know, I think they, there's a lot of confidence. I think that the narrative this year is different in Philly in large part because I think some fans had gotten frustrated that Embiid and Simmons hadn't taken that next step. And I think there's so much excitement over Embiid and the fact that he is now not a top 10 player, but a very legitimate MVP candidate. And regardless of whether or not the record was good last year or not, whether it's similar to this year, I think everybody recognizes that Joel is playing at a very different level. Uh, that he has has taken that step, like I said, in the understanding of the game, 
where you feel confident if, if another team throws their defenders at him and schemes their defense towards him, he's not going to make the mistakes he previously did. He, I, I would say the narrative is completely different, in part because I think, you know, having Doc and some playoff success in prior years and some playoff meltdowns, which I'm sure some people will bring up later if it happens. But I think that had adds a little bit of stability. I think Daryl Morey adds a little bit of stability and confidence. But I think Joel taking that step is a is huge in Philly from the fans' perspective too. So I I fully enjoy watching the Shake Milton experience when he goes into I don't give a you know what mode. It, those bench units can be fun. It's an R-rated pod, Fred. You can say it. They, <laughs> they've been inconsistent though Very. from from the bench point. What's the bench? Because 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 this almost feels like we're comparing it to last year. But I the vibes that I get are almost two years ago when it was like okay they need Ilyasova and Bellinelli. Yeah, and they get Ilyasova Bellinelli, and all of a sudden they go on their run at the end of the year, and they have a they have a really nice playoff series against Boston, and and they really look like they have a chance. I think this team is better than that team. What's the ideal? I think we probably agree they they could use a bench piece. They could, What's they the could probably ideal bench to, piece? Well, just I mean, I think that they out could there. use a stretch five slash four. Like I think Dwight Howard has struggled here of late. I think he's a tough fit in Ben Simmons, like pairing with Ben Simmons when Joe goes to the bench. So I think that is a a very obvious place that you would look. But overall, I mean, you just look at the bench. You're relying on Tyrese Maxey, who's a rookie, Shake Milton, who's played really well here over the last calendar year, but he's still, you know, a third-year player who doesn't have a lot of minutes under his belt. Furkan Korkmaz, who's, I mean, he's Furkan Korkmaz. And Mike Scott, like, you just don't have very many established veterans off of your bench. So I think anyone you can go to and rely on on a night-in, night-out basis, almost regardless of position they will look at, I think as a stretch four, stretch five, I think that is a, a very clear need and something that I think they will pursue. And also just a, a more reliable guard piece. Who, I mean, like Tyrese Maxey, I think they're all confident and hopeful of what he can develop into. But he is, I mean, he is a 20-year-old rookie who right now has obvious talent, but is really inefficient as he doesn't draw fouls, really shoot threes. He's got holes in his game that he has to correct before I think he's a playoff performer. So I think a a, a short shot-creating guard and a 4-5 that can shoot for perimeter off the bench is there. Probably primary targets. Stretch four, stretch five, Sam. Make your make your uh, Bielitsa case, Sam. I already heard you trying from from your Sacramento estate. Indeed, and I'll table that for a hot minute. Uh, there will be no Shake Milton slander, considering I, I looked at the Sixers lineups, and I think if Doc can just find a way to play that uh, that that Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Shake Milton lineup as often as possible, it's only thirty one minutes. Um, you know, and I'm not a basketball expert by any means, but a net rating of 52.3 is pretty damn good. And, you know, offense around 131, defense coming in, what is it, 79? Um, you know, that that jumped out at me when I was looking at the uh, the NBA lineups tool. Slater, uh, yeah, I do. Bielitz is a guy that I'm curious as we, and, you know, obviously Kings forward who's sitting on the shelf and is not even playing right now, a guy who as we get closer to the deadline, I wonder – where he might wind up. Uh, it's a little mysterious why he hasn't played. Um, and, you know, and, and I might have fielded a few phone calls from people who know my Sacramento background asking what's going on there. And, I mean, when he was out there doing his thing last couple of years, that's exactly the type of guy that I think, you know, a, a high-level yeah. team can use as an end-of-the-rotation player. And a guy who shoots the lights out, doesn't do much else, 
Um, but we know the value of that skill. And, and to your point earlier, Derek, we are already seeing with the work, you know, that the Sixers new front office did in the offseason, just the, the incredible benefits uh, of spacing that floor to Joel and the rest of that group. Um, on the Joel front, let's go down this road because we are going to talk MVP a little bit later. Um, not just MVP and where does he fit and and how impressed are we, but um, the question of in today's NBA, you know, is this the kind of formula that you can take all the way to the top of the NBA mountain? Uh, you know, I, I did a piece last week talking to scouts about the Nets and actually had some material that I didn't use where I had asked those scouts about the Sixers in the in the context of the Nets and just kind of wanted their opinions of what they thought. And, and one of those guys had just flat out said, you know, I don't think in today's NBA that you can have, you know, a big like Joel, you know, be your guy. And that's not a championship formula. And, and others obviously see it differently. Uh, certainly Daryl Morey and the rest of that group. But um, how do you guys see that? I mean, he's anchoring that defense right now. For, for, all, for all the talk of what they look like when he's on – the floor offensively and how important he is to their offense. And and as Derek mentioned earlier, the way he's kind of facilitated out of double teams better teams used to really be able to like sneak around that baseline and double him. And he reads that better. I mean, Derek might be able to give an idea of how much that actually has to do with communication with his teammates as well. And just general familiarity because they've cycled so many guys in and out of there. But defensively, I mean, the, the guy has been an absolute monster and I, I get the comments about it's harder to win with a big, but I, I think that's more of a of a general statement and a general rule we can say about 90-something percent of big men. There are a couple of them who just kind of break the mold. I mean, we saw Denver, which is, you know, a big man-led team. Uh, without who, which by the way, Jokic is not a guy who's going to be defending the way that Embiid is. Uh, you, we saw them take down a three-one lead against the Clippers team that was supposed to be the ideal team yeah. that a guy like that can't defend in a playoff series last year, right? Like there are ways around it. We've seen in playoff series, we've seen Philadelphia put Embiid on on guys who more hang in the corner and and let him kind of be able to help into the lane and. Um, He's so talented defensively that I feel like there are ways around it. I have no problem. When a guy is that good, you build around that dude. That is that is what you do. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the defense, and that's something you sort of take for granted because he's been so good for so long in that regard. Uh, and the change is offense. But yeah, he he, and that's part of the benefit of building around him is that you can put people like Bielitsa, people like Bellinelli and... Ilya Sova from a few years ago, and you're still going to have a, a top 10, probably a top five defense if Joel Embiid is on the court and healthy. So I do think they still need one really good creator from the perimeter. I, I'm not 100% bought in on them being a someone that will take down the Lakers or the Clippers in the finals. You know, I think they're still a piece away in that regard. But I certainly think, does Joel Embiid need to be the number one or the number two option? I'm not sure about that. But I think, especially with the way he has changed his face-up game and become a lot more of a, not a pure back-down threat, you know, I think it's going to be much harder to defend him. Uh, I mean, the, the stuff he's doing off the dribble from, you know, his, right now his mid-range games is automatic, and the way that's opened up his, you know, he, he, he'll he go through periods where he's just doing a driving kick game as a seven foot two, 290-pound center that's just, like, when he's making his mid-range jumpers and he's making good decisions and he's getting the foul line like he is, I think that will translate to the, uh, to the postseason. 
85% from the free throw line. That's the yeah. number that just blinks at me, right? I mean, because we're talking about offensive forces. Like, you know, you look at Giannis, who will probably be a playoff rival of his. Um, you know, people foul him, and they're kind of confident. Hey, we fouled him. He might miss one or two. He might miss both. Joel Embiid's shooting 85% on over 11 free throws a game right now. He's at 55% overall after never shooting 55% from or never shooting above 50 from the field. So clearly the shot profile is better and the three-point percentage at 39%. Like this is right now, at least through 19 games for him, is like just an absolutely elite score. Well, and he, he's shooting 64% from mid-range too, which is just I mean, that that won't stay there. That's like uh, Kevin I Durant. Think, I mean, that's right, essentially. Right. Yeah. I I think he's gotten better in that shot. What now, is he overall he, he's there? He's flat out told you, like he he can't be just a back down center. He's he's said that time and time again over the last twelve months, and I think he's put a lot of work into that face up mid range game, so he can be a, a little tougher to guard, a little less predictable. And and let's not forget, like the reason people have the bias against the big man is because of the you can potentially play a guy off the floor. Right. Um, that that in a playoff series where they, against an elite offense that's incredible at spreading the floor and you can play that guy off the floor, but like Derek, I think you could probably test. You can uh, maybe dive into this better than me. With Embiid, it's not that he's just great again. He's not the most versatile defender in the league, but it's not that he's just great at the rim. Right. He alters shot selection. Like you look at shot charts when he's on the floor and it's crazy how different, right? That it is when compared to when he's when he's off. They, the 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 actual shots they're allowing is just completely different. Yeah, and there are some matchups like like a couple of years ago against Boston and Al Horford. He struggled at times with their pick and pop game uh defending Al Horford. But they're quite frankly just if you're looking at the path through the Eastern Conference and like if the Sixers meet the Bucks, he's guarding Giannis and he's going to, I'll meet you in the paint and and we'll see uh, how you can, how I can challenge that. He's probably not guarding Lopez. Um, there just aren't that many big men that I think he really fears right now in his path that can really bring him out on an island um, because it's not just that Al Horford could shoot. It's that Al Horford could shoot and take you off the dribble and make one or two dribbles and make a good pass. Uh, he could facilitate the offense out there. And I think that's what causes him problems. And quite frankly, he looks a little bit lighter on his feet right now than he did, you know, two, two and a half years ago. Uh, he looks a little more mobile. Um, he does look like he's in slightly better shape. Everyone says that, but it does look like that is, you know, translated a little bit. Uh, no, he's, he's he has some versatility. I'm not sure you want him chasing on the perimeter too much. Like, I think the six, I think he would like to play a little more aggressive of pick and roll scheme. I think they want to keep him as close to the paint as possible. But yeah, he's he's not he's not completely lost if he has to move his feet on the floor. I tell you what, that that playoff narrative around Giannis is already tough enough. That's admittedly that's a matchup I would love to see cuz cuz I you know, I I love Giannis's game. I voted for him for MVP twice, but you know, after what happened in the Miami series last year and that whole idea that we now we have all this evidence of of Giannis as great as he is on the defensive end not being a guy who's who's interested or seemingly willing to take on those mono mono type Matchups like the notion of Embiid, you know, getting the best of Giannis in that setting uh, is is pretty compelling. Um, let me push you a different direction, Derek, because uh, on the Ben Simmons front, and I know it's a little harder these days, media wise, because we're not around the teams, everything's over Zoom. But you're talking to people over the phone, and you have a sense of things. What is your feeling about how he came through the the whole James Harden saga? Because 
to me, that was pretty fascinating. You got Daryl Morey coming out publicly, you know, early on and, and telling our Sharania, you know, that Ben isn't going anywhere on the back end, you know, just, just, you know, no uncertain terms of Philly had him on the table and sure. that was something that they wanted to have happen, but it seemed like Ben rolled with it and then that he found kind of the upside and the silver lining and they're benefiting from that. But, you know, you know, why are they so damn lucky to have a young star, um, kind of be that amenable to trade rumors and, and how did he navigate all that? Yeah. Um, and I mean, they would have traded him for James Harden. Daryl Morey is, you can say whatever he wants publicly or to shams. He's, you know, he's, he's playing a part that he has to play. Uh, he very much, and look, there was multiple reports from a lot of people that uh, they had one point contacted Simmons. And I think Thibel was the other one that there was a, a good chance a trade would go down. So that was, had a chance to be a real tricky spot. I mean, Young players of that stature aren't typically accustomed to being in trade requests or, or trade rumors unless they're the ones requesting the trade. So it was definitely tricky. You know, I think Simmons, he's such a flat personality, and I mean that in a a, a good way. He doesn't go up and down. His emotions main, remain pretty focused. Um, and I think he probably looked at it and he said, I would rather be in Philly on a contending team than, you know, Houston on a rebuilding team. Uh, so I think he probably looked at it pragmatically from that perspective. And I think there is a pretty good bond between Simmons and Embiid for as much as we questioned it. You know, I think they want to remain together and see this through. So I think he, like, I think NBA players to some degree say, understand that's James Harden. Like, of course, they would be willing to trade me for James Harden. And it's tough. I think some players would take that the wrong way. But Simmons is just a, he's a very focused and flat personality, which is pretty unique uh, for a young player that I've seen. And I think some people will, like, there are consequences that come to that. He is focused to the point where he's not just going to shoot because people want him to shoot. Uh, but he does, he blocks out the external pretty well. Um, how much of the uh, the Embiid-Simmons stuff from the past was real? And, and if it was somewhat substantive, you know, how do you feel like it, it evolved toward the better? Because there was a minute where we were wondering, personality-wise, sure. if these two guys were going to click. Well, so they, they've never really been super tight off the floor. And I think that always raises suspicions. And they're both pretty introverted people. Uh, even Joel, who's very extroverted when you put him in front of camera, but in a locker room, in his personal life, he's a pretty introverted person. Uh, so they just never really had like the kind of outings or the the behind the scenes chemistry that I think a lot of people would look for. And I don't think that's an issue. I think where the question comes in is if you have these sort of like repeated seasons where you underachieve or there's pressure being put on you, is there enough common bond to persevere through that? Uh, and I think that's where some people got rightfully concerned. Um, but I think they are just, um, you know, Ben Simmons, he's he's a unique quote unquote star because he doesn't really care about scoring the points. Um, I think he wants to be recognized, but I don't think he needs to be in, in part because he doesn't have a confidence to do it, but I, he doesn't need to be the one taking the last shot, having the offense run through that. And I think that's helped them. You know, I think they both realize that they can win better together uh, because of, of, you know, how they fit personality wise in that regard. Right. It's a good question because there is, there was a real legitimate um, question to that. I think at times it was probably like, I think we focus on it a lot because it has a chance to completely derail a team and rightfully so. Like this is a era of player movement and star movement. So you have to wonder about that, but they were never really at odds. They were just never super close. And I think maybe some of the shared experiences they've had rather than pushing them apart have sort of pulled them together. Well, and it seems I remember from a couple of years ago, it seemed like in the limited time I would spend in their locker room there, was, you know, it didn't take long to run into 
the dynamic where you had two young stars that are that are kind of quietly vying for space within that locker room and and it extended even beyond you know there's kind of like how many people do each of them have around them and and you know all the politics that go on sure. to the power plays within the NBA and and it does seem like they've worked their way through it uh, we'll get you out on this, Derek, and and you know since we're gonna be playing a game later of kind of pick a side, which is basically you know buy or sell. Um, let's make the rounds with all, all three of you. I mean, are we buying Philly not only as a a good team like they were last year, and like we said, it was playing at a high level, but a team that could be playing into the uh, you know the conference finals, maybe the finals, and and pushing for this thing. How do you guys see it, Fred? Let me go to you. Yeah, I mean, I told you guys at, at a part of the start of the year that I'm 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 buying them as a possible conference finalist, and I think it was Amick who gave me crap. So I would never give you. Crap. Yeah, you're making our CEO, <laughs> you one never. of our CEOs very happy right now. By the way, Alex <laughs> Mather, renowned Sixers fan, um, who reads every word that Derek writes, is is a happy man these days. Yeah, no, I'm buying. They defensively, they they just they look they look wonderful. They have a starting lineup that. I think makes a lot of sense and and I anticipate it's it they they clearly need to make a fringe move for their bench or two and they have a general manager who is always in say a president who is always incredibly aggressive in identifying something that his team needs and going out and doing what he can to get it. So I anticipate they will make a move at some point in the next six weeks before the trade deadline or at least in the buyout market to to upgrade that second unit and and I think I think they're really good. They definitely have a chance at, at a conference finals appearance. Slater? Yes. Yes, because I think the East is flawed around them. I don't need to get too deep into my Bucks doubt because I do it every week. <laughs> um, and, you know, Miami's the defending Eastern Conference champs. What's their record right now? Like 10 and 14, something like yeah. that? Um, you know, I... Right now, if I had to pick an East Finals, I would pick Sixers-Nets. Now, that would be a really interesting matchup, right? Because we're talking about MB, the domination of the interior. Um, they, you know, he would he would kill that interior, but who does he guard if, if the Nets go, uh, you know, KD at the five, which I think is where the Nets, will probably, the Nets will probably settle in the playoffs. That would be a fascinating matchup. I don't know who I'd pick, but since I am saying those are my two East favorites, yes, they're certainly a contender. I don't, I don't know how Kevin's going to feel about uh, playing the five with, with – Mr. Embiid down there. That that would not go well. Well, you know, yeah. would it go well if uh, DeAndre Jordan's getting 35 minutes? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think we talk about the Sixers and, and adding to the bench. I think the Nets are going to add somebody. Uh, they added Nova on late today. Uh, but, you know, JaVale McGee. Yeah, the, the, the Joel Embiid stopper. Nova, yes. Nova on <laughs> No, the one that uh, in that scouting story I mentioned earlier, and, and who knows if, if it'll happen. You know, everybody's looking at Andre Drummond in Cleveland wondering if he might get a buyout. And, and the Cavs have put it out there that that's not happening and so who knows as we get closer to the deadline that's a guy who uh i think they would love to get their hands he'd on. move the needle javel yeah. mcgee i don't think would but yeah drummond's probably the only guy i've heard that might at least move the needle a little right bit. right right derek you know it better than anybody what's your uh, your verdict here on that squad you, you cover yeah i mean conference final is sure i'm buying that uh, i still have some reservations about like i said actually winning an nba championship and this is such a strange year because like all of their marquee matchups have been there's asterisks galore like the two times they played Miami, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo were both out. Uh, the two times they played Boston, Jason Tatum was out. Like they've only really had one measuring stick game and that was against the Lakers and they won it and that's great. But there's so we have so l- much less information to go off of this year and that's probably something we're going to be saying all season. But yes, in terms of talent and fit, I think they are a legitimate threat for the conference finals. Beyond that, I still think I need to see a little bit more. 
All right, my friend, it was great to see you, even virtually. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good luck with your, your media basketball beef happening out there. I, I didn't end up getting into that, but, you know, the Philly folks know what I'm talking about. But keep up the good work, as always, and we'll talk to you down the road. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. Gentlemen, let's uh, let's go from Philly to uh, league-wide. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wrap the Kings into our pick-a-side uh, game because Look at this guy hating on the Kings. Look at this big city. I'm hating? Eastern Confer- Eastern Conference <laughs> lover. Well, what does he do? The Kings have their best week in years, and he brings on you know Sixers. He wants to talk Sixers. Hey, go this look guy- at my my Twitter feed. I thought about it last <laughs> night. Like I, I, my per capita tweeting about the Kings is far exceeds any national writer in the history of what we do. So uh, there's there's no hate here. You know, this is I, your week. Then we should be having a mega king segment. Well, we kidding? should have Jason Jones on. Then we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, I mean, well, next week, I'm sure they'll win three more this week. Go to well, and I'm trying on the fly here. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to decide who to wrap it into. So if we're picking a side on surprise teams here, let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna crowdsource it. Uh, kings or who? We're gonna start the pick a side game is gonna be. I throw two situations at you guys, and you basically tell me which one you believe more than the other. But who's there with with Sacramento right now in the surprise category? Any nominees? Well, well, I wanted to do an Eastern Conference hot take of the week last week, but uh, you know, you, you, got, you muscled me you out. You got of the railroaded. Paint. All right, all right. Slater with the floor. Right. Slater with the floor. Eastern well, Conference hot take of the week. Well, my my, I was gonna. It was about the Knicks. Okay, and the Knicks have been fun. You know, I've actually enjoyed watching Knicks games for the first time in a while. And they've been playing these like matinee games, which are perfect, right? You wake up, you're like, oh, Knicks are like tipping off right now against the Blazers. Cool, right, right, right. Um, and they've just been fun. And, and and to me, like maybe we're doing pick a side here, and I'm I'm trying to throw the Knicks into the ring. They're 11 and 14. No, that's good. They're, they're eighth. They're the eighth seed, and, and you know, tied with the Charlotte Hornets, who who would be another candidate here. But I think we'll get to Lamelo later. No, the Kings um, Knicks. Plus, because you got like the onomatopoeia yeah. thing. I like that. All the. Uh, Shared letters. Yeah, this is there great. you go. Uh, yeah. But like Julius Randle is an all-star right now. Emmanuel Quickly. We talk about Tyrese Halliburton, and we will get to him. Emmanuel Quickly's having like a really quiet, great rookie season scoring off the Knicks bench. So much that I believe Knicks fans are like, you know, really trying to get him into the starting lineup. Uh, Thibodeau ha- has sharpened up their defense. I don't know where they rank in defensive rating, but it's a lot higher than last year. Um, they're dangerous. Every game I tried, they didn't beat Miami yesterday. But every time I turn them on, they're in the game. I saw them in person beat beat up the uh, Warriors, uh, you know, in San Francisco. They're just they're solid right now. Like they're a tough team to play. Yeah, I am really curious to see how the Derrick Rose thing shakes things up because now that he's there, they already have. I mean, I would love quickly. He's playing 18, 19 minutes a game. He's a rookie. It's fi- like that's fine. It's not a huge deal, but he is a scorer, man. Like he is just putting the ball in the hoop every time. And when you're bringing in Rose, and you already got Alfred Payton, and you want quickly handling the ball, and RJ Barrett needs his time learning how to handle the ball and initiate offense and initiate offense for himself. It's like there's a lot to go around. And that's a team that should be slanting its priorities towards its young guys like Barrett, like Quickly, like Toppin, who hasn't really shown as much as I thought that he would. Even Kevin Knox and even even Neil Aquino, who's who's been the DNP king over the last four years, which I'm st- I'm not all the way out on Frank Nilakina yet. I'm just not because of the way he defends. You won't give him up. I will not give up Frank Nilakina. Toppin looks tiny, by the way, on the court. Like compared to what we thought, we thought they were getting like a stretch four or five ish. Like I've been kind of a little disappointed from him, whereas their other rookie has been much better. Slater, just yeah, so you know, the, the Knicks are sixth in defensive rating. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, there you like, go. 
Thibodeau. You know, I mean, yeah. again, you know, he seems to have a, a like time span where he's effective. You know, kind of grind in his team. But usually, he right, year hot. one, year two, year, right. yeah, year one, year two, it's like, wow, this team is much better defensively. Although, uh, I mean, I agree with, yes, he burns hot and he, he burns people out. Uh, I am curious to see uh, the macro here with Leon Rose running the Knicks. He's never had that kind of synergy when it comes to, I mean, I, I guess he has when he ran his own front office. That's a lot of synergy. But it didn't, <laughs> in Minnesota. But, um uh, yeah, that's a great surprise team because it is weird to hear positivity around the Knicks. It is weird to also have that within these subplots that we typically are very critical of. The The notion of Tom Thibodeau, you know, having kind of the old boys network from the old Chicago days where he, you know, gets the Derrick Roses and the Taj Gibsons and guys like that. Normally, in the media and fans push back and, and the Derrick Rose deal seemed like it had an OK approval rating and, and, and he's getting a little bit of uh, the benefit of the doubt right now. Just, just, just to this that this piece of trivia is unbelievable. I forget who tweeted it out. Somebody tweeted it yesterday that Derrick Rose going to the Knicks means it'll be the third time or the third team he plays under the same head coach with. So he will have played for Tom Thibodeau in Chicago and Minnesota and New York, which ties a record for one player playing for the same head coach with Wait, three I different have the teams. I have the and it ties a record which is held by Taj Gibson. His now teammate. Wait a minute. Okay. So wait. Who also me. played for the same head coach with three different teams. The same three I teams. I believe. Isn't Kevin Martin in that same club? That was the one I was thinking of. With what coach? With Rick Adelman. So oh. he, in sack, this is perfect because we're going Kings Knicks. Uh, Kevin Martin, who I covered for years and still keep in touch with. Good guy. Um, Sacramento, Minnesota, and then Houston. I think, I forget the order. Um, was... Uh, I thought in that club. Maybe I'm off on that. But yeah, you that's might you might be right. Yeah. I hey, I got it from Twitter. And as you know, <laughs> if it's on Twitter, it's obviously correct. Fair, fair. Well, Kings. so let's flip. Yeah, Kings. Um, I have shouted out Jason Jones a couple times. Kings beat writer had a good piece on Luke Walton today, where it's kind of like it's funny living locally. The fans are, you know, Luke has had a, a rough go with the fans, and they, they seem very reluctant to give him any love. I think he deserves some right now. They are playing well. Uh, some of the quotes in Jason's piece last night with Buddy Heald effusing praise about the same coach that he really challenged a year ago and got sideways with was very noticeable to me. Um, they've won seven out of eight as of this recording of the pod. Uh, they actually have Philly tomorrow and Sacramento defense is not certainly on the Knicks level, but they have gone from historically bad. And I just looked it up here in the eight game stretch. They have the 11th best defense during that span. So a lot of improvement there. Um, Tyrese Halliburton just looks like an absolute beast. I can't believe he slid to 12 and, and he was a fantastic pick. Buddy is playing better. Harrison Barnes is having himself a hell of a year. And there's our six degrees of, of Warriors commentary for the day Slater. But yeah. um, they got a lot of good things going on. He's positively looking like Andrew Wiggins out there with his steady contributions. Indeed. Um, no, well, it's interesting how this is going because, you know, we're talking about surprise teams of the season. The Kings were a massive disappointment two weeks ago. I think they were 5-10. and 10. You mentioned their defensive rating was, like, worst in history. Um, and then they were on the road, and they played some, you know, like, they beat Orlando. It was like, okay, you know, nice little win in Orlando. They beat Toronto. It was like, oh, you know, like, that's that's solid, but Toronto's not having that great a season. Right. They lose in Miami barely, and then they go into New Orleans. And, and, and De'Aaron Fox, who, you know, fringe all-star at this point, has 38 in that game. Some of those closing moves 
Orleans. He had to beat New Orleans. It was like, man, that is like a nice little three and one end to the road trip. But still, I think at the time I'm trying to look at they were nine and eleven when they win that New Orleans game. And it's like they're coming home, Boston, Denver, and then they're going to the Clippers. Okay, you know, n- nice little three and one stretch. You're about to, you know, realism is about to hit you in the face. And then they beat the Celtics, beat the Nuggets, beat the Clippers. They're now three and zero against the Nuggets this season. I don't know what's up with that matchup. And then I mean, for them to go on the back to back on the road and beat the Clippers. Um, that's, I'm starting to take notice now. Although I will say, and I, I got to look it up here and make sure I'm accurate. I'm with you. Very, very impressive wins. Also a hell of a run with each of those teams, I believe missing a big time player. I think Boston, I'll confirm this in a second, was down Jalen Brown. Denver was down, uh, Jamal Murray. Um, the Clippers were down. Jokic had like 50 or something. He did. He was a monster. Uh, the Clippers were down Paul George. And so they've gotten little breaks like that, but they're, they're, what these, they ha- these are not wins that they were getting in other years. Not at all. Know. Like, you know, they're not doing that. Here's the thing. Halliburton, who we should talk about, um, yeah. is uh, he's he's checking so many boxes. First of all, his poise for his age is incredible. His spirit as a leader is incredible. Uh, you watch him closely. And, you know, there was one moment earlier in the year where Hassan Whiteside got hammered. I forget which game, but he gets hammered on the head, you know, hard foul as he was going up. And he's pissed and he gets up and he's about to get a tech. And here comes Tyrese Halliburton, you know, who looks like he's 11 years old, patting Hassan on the backside and in his ear, basically saying, big fella, you're okay, you're okay. Keeps him from getting a tech. Um, He does that kind of stuff all the time. And then basketball wise, his fit with Fox is fantastic. Uh, Alliteration there. You're welcome. But like he Tyrese and this is not by accident. And I've talked to his people about this. He actually looked at Sacramento and liked basketball-wise how he fit with De'Aaron and very much wanted to come be a part of this group. And that, you know, that, that opinion, that view is bearing out because all of a sudden with Fox, the playmaking responsibilities are not as heavy. You know, Tyrese can run a lot of that. You know, Fox, I think right now is around 22 and 6, which is really good numbers, but he's not, no one's asking him to be a double-digit assist playmaker. And Tyrese is picking up a lot of that defensively, you know, Tyrese is slight. He's going to, you know, he's 19 years old, but he is savvy, man. Somebody had a clip the other day where they put together a a bunch of video where Tyrese is just a master of laying in the weeds and passing lanes and basically, you know, playing with his eye contact, playing with his body language, you know, kind of duping the opponent into making that one pass that they shouldn't be making. And then he jumps the lane and, and he's on his way. He's just a smart player and the kind of guy that around here, the fans certainly feel like, you know, they're going to be calling his name for the next 15 years. He has serious Malcolm Brogdon vibes to me. Like I, I, it, this feels like Malcolm Brogdon's rookie year when 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 rookie of the year was kind of down that year. There wasn't really one guy who we looked at and said that guy's going to be a superstar. But Brogdon's game was so insanely mature and so NBA ready that we've that everyone just kind of agreed. Okay, this 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 is the guy. This is the guy who's at least helping his team win the most. And and I know we we talked about Halliburton or or Lamelo before the podcast. Maybe we talked about it on it. I, I don't remember. Life is blending together for me. <laughs> but but with Halliburton for me, it's that you're right. His game is so insanely refined. And and the difference obviously between him and Brogdon is that Brogdon spent a lot of time in college and was older. And Halliburton, meanwhile, is is 20 years old, right? And and he looks 20 years old. And he's he's basically everything that the positive scouting report said 
he would be, which is why it's kind of crazy to me. And I'm not a draft expert, but it's why it's kind of crazy to me that he ends up falling out of the top 10, because it's not like there's anything here that when you look at the Sam Vecini or the Jonathan Wasserman or the John, the John Gavoni, like you look at the, or you look at those guys scouting reports before the draft and it's kind of okay he's going to be a savvy defender he's going to be a good team defender he's going to make the right play within the offense he's going to shoot well on catch and shoots he's going to be a good secondary playmaker and it's like yeah all these things happened and he looks spectacular to me like that's kind of this didn't necessarily come out of nowhere so it it is kind of crazy to me that he ends up being this good right away and and he ends up falling to 12. I mean, good on the Kings because he's he's going to be a hell well, of a and player. Shout out, you know, first year GM, Monty McNair. That's a that's a nice win early in your executive tenure. Um, let's tie a bow on the Kings Knicks thing since we segued naturally into the rookie of the year discussion. Kings or Knicks? Slater, go. I'm going Knicks because I think they have a better chance at the playoffs. They're, it's because they're in the East, and the bottom of the East has worse records. But what did I say they, their record was at this point? 11 and 14. And they're and the AC right now. The Kings, um, it's just more crowded down there. So I believe more in like Thibodeau grinding them to the playoff finish line where I just think the Kings are going to kind of waver back and forth. And I still probably wouldn't pick them to make the West playoffs. Frey? We're just choosing which team has a better chance at the playoffs? You got to pick just, one. One's got to go. We're just abstractly choosing Knicks or Kings. Yep. Pick a side. All right. Pick a side, Frey. All right, cool. I'll, I'll pick the Kings. <laughs> I'll pick the Kings because we're not actually picking them for anything. This and New I think York the Kings hater. are this New York. The, <laughs> and I think the the guy, the one guy here who's from New York is going to pick that. They're just more fun. They give up these. They still, even after all this, have a historically bad defense. I mean, they're still 30th in defense right now. Who? It is amazing. The Kings. Are they really? I'm pretty sure they're still 30th in defense. Like they still have a historically your bad defense have after not all taken this. That mantle. I saw your Wizards ding up the uh, Hornets yesterday. I was like, oh, they, they're coming for that 30th. I watched every single Wizards minute this year, and it's spectacular to me that they could not be 30th in defense right now. But I'm almost certain they're not. I think the Kings are really fun to watch where the Knicks have a lot of grind it out, drag it out. I've games. enjoyed Knicks games. I don't know. Julius Randall looks like Say that again, man. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm Julius gonna, Randall has been spectacular. I'm going to go he has uh, been awesome this year against the grain. Fred's trying to hate on his home area. Sacks, not my home area. I've just been here forever. I guess area. I'm from NorCal. Uh, I'll stick with the Kings. If only because if I don't, you know, that neighbor uh, to my left, drunk neighbor, John's going to come graffiti my house. If I pick another team, but uh, they are fun. I just listen. Locally, it is. Uh, it's wild how nervous fans get when they start getting excited um, because they they just have been let down so many times. And like Slater said earlier, let's not forget they literally just lost nine out of eleven games. Like that just happened, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. But I like what they're doing uh, in terms of the locker room and the. Uh, culture, I guess there was a great clip that I was a little uh, kudos to the Kings uh, social media for putting out kind of an athletic style salty video clip that that had a, a bleeped f bomb in it, where Luke Walden in the locker room is talking to his guys, telling them you know what they did right that night in the latest win, and then says you know we got a Super Bowl to watch, let's get the f out of here, you know. But it just kind of guys were yelling, guys were feeling good. So the Kings are doing some good things. We'll see if they can keep it up. 
Uh, let's keep our pick aside. The king, segment. the king, Sam. By the way, are six tenths of a point per hundred possessions worse than the Wizards. Thirtieth and defense. Oh, still. you were so close to having to run a correction, Fred. You were. I so know. Close to being wrong. Alas, alas! If there's one person in the world who knows where the Wizards rank in defensive <laughs> rating, <laughs> Wizards I'm the are, guy. Wizards are coming. By the way, I, I, we'll see next week. I think I know where that stat may. Oh, they're they're storming. I'm I'm not arguing that that's gonna I stay saw, there forever. I saw Alex Lynn just uh, locking the Hornets up. All right, so <laughs> I, I got to keep the segue going, and and uh, but just in case folks listening don't care about the Kings. Let's jump to the other Rookie of the Year candidate that we wanted to explore a bit. Out in Charlotte, young LaMelo Ball uh, is playing you know, some very, very good ball. I hate the fact I got a quick confession because um, I'm not alone. I got to stop doing this thing because it's not fair where you think about a player like LaMelo in the context of, man, that's got to be rough. He's already better than his brother. And like from a human standpoint, yeah, you, you do you think about those dynamics. That's not how he should be judged. Um, and then a, and then Sam just says it on a podcast. I, I, I'm getting it out of my system so that I can then move on. Yeah. Well, he well you know what Lamelo Ball has he has worry, Warriors fans a little bit worried right now because he looks really really good and that was who the Warriors were debating it too James right. Wiseman or Lamelo Ball. We will see. Um, I know we're Tell talking. Tell him to James go cry on their Steph Curry tears as he's dropping yeah, sixty right. here. Come hey on. Slater, you think you think he'd be this good if you were on the Warriors though? No, like, right. no, no. He'd be playing so differently. Yeah, yeah. He would be fewer minutes per game, fewer you know ability to kind of control the ball. Um, you know, he'd be third guard. You know, I you know he would probably be. I would say he has surpassed my expectations uh, as a rookie. I probably your two as well, as well. Where now I could definitely envision him in a small ball lineup. Like the Warriors are playing small right now because all their centers are hurt, and I could see him on that court, and he could definitely ping around some of these passes. And like we talk about, some of these newer Warriors not necessarily having the sense of like where Steph Curry always is on the court and missing him on some of his off ball action. That's the thing about Lamelo Ball. Like he already has like pretty genius level, you know, feel for the game. So. There is some fit there within the Warriors. Now, I, I do not want to get into a ba- debate yet on if the Warriors made the right pick or not. We're talking Rookie of the Year, I think, right, Sam? It, it, yeah, let's let's get to the numbers because we are guilty sometimes of not giving the listeners the information. Uh, LaMelo Ball, 13.8 points, six assists, uh, one and a half steals, basically shooting. Uh, the three-point percentage is better than I would expect. I thought, 40, you so know. 43.6 overall, 30, basically 34 from long range. And what, uh, Go ahead, Slayer. Well, what's crazy about that is, and this is part of the doubt on him going into the draft, those shooting splits are better than his Australia shooting splits. You know, this isn't Luka Doncic who, who won EuroLeague MVP, and then it was like, you know, in retrospect, it's like, why didn't you pick him? He just dominated the best non-NBA league in uh, you know the world he was like Lamella was like really inefficient and not very good on a like not good Australian team um, and now he's like I said I think his shooting percentages are better in the NBA through a month um, yeah, Halliburton, that, so Halliburton's yeah. 12 points um, five and a half assists 3.7 boards one and a half or uh, 1.2 steals 48 percent overall and 44 and a half from long range on five attempts a game. I mean, that, that shooting touch is pretty nice. Yeah, for me, if we're, if we're picking rookies of the year right now, I, I I would say Halliburton is a little bit ahead of LaMelo. I think he's been 
kind of more of a, a flat line of a season where LaMelo has had his highs and had his lows. And, and LaMelo has been great, by the way, especially those last five or six games. He's really hitting new stride. And so if he plays like he has the last five or six games, if he plays like that for the rest of the year, then we're, we're having a different conversation. But to me, what's absolutely insane and LaMelo's efficiency numbers are like fine compared to where I thought they'd be at. I thought he was going to be ridiculously low in Anthony terms of his Edwards, percentages basically. this year. Anthony Edwards shooting like 38% or something. Right. I thought that's kind of where he'd be, and I thought the three-point percentage would be somewhere around 30 tops, and we'd see some incredible passing and some really good moments. And I liked him as a player, but I just didn't think right away it would be as, as solid as it is. With Halliburton, Halliburton has the highest effective field goal percentage right now of any point guard in the NBA. Not of any rookie point guard. Of any point guard. And to give you an idea of how impressive that is, number two is Kyrie Irving, who's in the midst of a tremendous season. Now, volume plays into this. Halliburton's not taking the difficulty of shots that a guy like Kyrie is, but it shows how, I mean, the shooting splits are not just really good. They're they're spectacular for someone who's just a rookie. I mean, this is one of the more efficient seasons we've seen from a rookie guard in a while and I think that has to be taken into consideration whereas it's not like he's just kind of benefiting off of spectacular players and that's it he's doing a lot of this stuff on on his own and and with the way he reads the game and just his pure catch and shoot ability is off the dribble ability he he has been unbelievably efficient inside that king's offense and and to me that's that's the difference not to quote the uh Old Kings president of basketball ops, Jeff Petrie, who I always remember a line Jeff dropped on me. Then he didn't like a story I wrote and said, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, so we got all this love for Tyrese. Uh, I, I was a little surprised to look at it right now, guys. And this is just one one analytic doesn't, you know, not the end all be all, but they're actually slightly better uh, with him off the court than they are with him on. That part Sam's is diving into the numbers. A today. little surprising. Uh, the other part that certainly counters that is that their best lineup far and away includes Halliburton, uh, and, and it's it's not even close. It's you know it's three X over their second best lineup with any uh, regular minutes. You got Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, Buddy Hield, uh, Darren Fox, and Halliburton. That group, which they've been closing with, has been really really good. Marvin yeah, Bagley, I mean, not a part of that lineup, huh? Yeah, his the, father's the on-offs. For what it's worth, the on-offs for Halliburton are tough because he doesn't start. So yep. He's going to be playing with reserves more. Yep, which indeed is on offs. Playing right, against we, uh, reserves too. Well, we got a pick, right? We got a pick. Uh, we got a pick. Halliburton or Young Lamelo Ball. Halliburton for now, but if Lamelo, I mean, these last five Lamelo games have been awesome. If that's what he is the rest of the year, he's got a really good shot. They're both really good. I'm going Lamelo Ball uh, just because I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year. I think it's a higher upside. I think his min- you know, he start. He's now beginning to start in Charlotte, which is a big thing. Um, and uh, the last thing I want to say on Halliburton is: imagine if you're the Phoenix Suns watching this. I know we could pick a lot of teams in that like maybe six to to twelve range that should have taken Halliburton before the Kings. Um, how about the Phoenix Suns at ten, who could really use him, who are like kind of all in right now, going with Jalen Smith, who's like a backup big, who's not even in the rotation. I think he's played like. Seven games, like four minutes per game. That one would hurt. Suns slander from Slater. There we go. No, I did. You know, I was. Imagine if you were one of those teams. I mean, he would be right in their rotation right now. Hundred percent. Well, here's the other last thought for me on that front is I keep thinking, imagine being, and I I might reach out to him soon, but Vladi Divac right now because Luca is. I mean, Luca's still incredible, but like some of the shine is off of Luca this year in terms of the Mavs struggling. 
Uh, that's almost the entire reason I felt that Vlade lost his job. And then now you see, you know, how quickly things turn back in a positive direction. Now, again, you got some what ifs in there. Who knows if Vlade would have taken Halliburton and what, what would have mm-hmm. happened. But it's just crazy how quickly things change. Uh, I, uh, I'm i going to go with LaMelo. Um, I think, you know, the Slater, the point you make about, you know, the lane he fills and the role he's playing is, is going to be more reliable for the rookie of the year purposes than uh, Tyrese's. Uh, Tyrese is going to be a big part of what the Kings do, but, you know, they're moving, they're playing with more parts, so to speak. So I think it's very close, though. And I think the winning factor is something that uh, if the Kings are pushing for a playoff spot, then, you know, I think that's going to help Tyrese quite a bit. Hornets are in one right now because yep. it's the East. They're yep. seventh. You know, yep. that's again when we were talking Knicks Kings. So, yep. anyway. Yep. No, Next. No, no question. Picking aside, I got the list in front of me here. Decide which direction to go. Uh, we we got into this earlier, but let's pick a side on MVP. Uh, you going with unless we have you know st- like staunch objections to the candidates, but uh, Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid, and of course we're going to talk about LeBron on the backside. But um, those two guys, uh, where do you land right now? I think Embiid because I think they have a clear path to be like a one seed, which I personally believe matters a lot in in the playoffs. I mean, we saw I do too. Jokic. Jokic is playing obviously unbelievable, but they just went to L.A. and like you know, Lakers kind of beat them up pretty easily. Um, so I just I think a one seed in the East with Embiid. Although playing when the they way were up is, by like fifteen, seventeen in that game, and I looked up and then they were down. It, you know, it was like p- the Warriors had just played against the Mavericks, so I was like half watching. But right. yeah, I, I I saw it with you. I was like, "Ooh, good game! Hopefully, I can get done and watch the end." And then I get to the fourth. I'm like, "Nuggets are down 15 right now." Right, right. Um, but I just mean overall. I you know the Nuggets at this point, I think are probably the fourth best team in the West, and you know that's not going to be good enough. You know, I could throw Steph Curry's statistical candidacy into the MVP, but the reason why I don't believe he will be a candidate is because I don't. Well, think I did actually. Top yeah, seed. I and mentioned LeBron out of the, respect because yeah. LeBron, his team is you know is elite right now. But the Steph thing is real. Uh, I just read you know Marcus Thompson's column on Steph, and, and just the combination of the numbers that you're looking at and the commentary coming from Steve Kerr and Draymond Green and, and folks around the Warriors saying basically to the basketball world like you might want to wake up and realize like. This dude who was already a first ballot Hall of Famer is is exceeding even his own individual abilities and kind of performance. Uh, I mean, Steph has, has been incredible. Yeah, You know, I, I have no problem with someone voting for Kevin Durant, for what it's worth. Kevin Durant has been outrageous. I mean, Kevin Durant's having one of his best seasons. It's right. Kevin Durant, right. and he's having one of his best seasons ever. And I, I know that he's got two other unbelievable players who he's with, and the Nets defense has been the Nets defense. Uh, and they're fourteen and eleven. He's but, under quarantine, for and he's miss, and missing time. games. Yeah, and he sat for back to backs a couple times too. So he's gonna miss games, which isn't gonna help him. But oh my god, his tweet games MVP is, too. Just you know, calling the league out. My goodness, <laughs> unbelievable. But he's he is as good as he's ever been. He's been he's been a top. He's 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 the second best player in the league in my mind. Well, so to that point, Fred, I feel like this one, admittedly, we're forcing the pick aside a little bit to go Jokic and Embiid. So let's pick a side there, and then let's do a quick chat about the whole thing because I think there's you know we got to talk LeBron a little bit too. But if we're talking about the big fella in Denver and the big fella in Philly, uh, Fred, which one are you going with? 
I'm going Embiid just because I think the defense sets him apart a little bit. He's he's so dominant defensively. When he turns it on, it's it's wild to watch. So I'll go Embiid, but it's it's really close. Like I feel like there are those four guys at the top who are all amazing. Yeah, Embiid for for those reasons I said. Just because I think Philly's going to probably be a higher seed. All right, I'm going to not just for against the grain purposes, but I'm going to go Jokic because I think Denver will figure things out going forward. Jamal Murray is is playing, you know, not like the guy in the bubble. We've talked about that. I think they'll find their way um and and what he's doing offensively is historic. Uh, you know, it's easily the the best passing season we've ever seen from a big man and then he's out there dropping 50 and and doing incredible things. So, you know, yes, where they are in the standings right now doesn't aid his cause but so you know my my feeling is that they'll uh, get right going forward but two great candidates um the lebron is is one that i want to get your guys opinion on here because you know the Giannis. i feel like it's it is crazy that Giannis is already feels like he's unofficially out of the race we um, almost can't like include him in the discussion it's, it's wild it is wild and it's also you know i thought lebron was i i i, I understood his kind of reaction last season when he said he was insulted, but I didn't agree with him at all. Um, I mean, I voted for Giannis. It wasn't even close from a just a regular season impact production standpoint. Um, but now the landscape has changed a little bit. You know, you have the narrative is always a part of this award. That's just a fact. And the Lakers are coming off the championship and they keep, you know, not only is LeBron having a, a great year, but he is yet again from a leadership standpoint, finding a way to help integrate all these different pieces you know they're playing really good ball, and and you know it, there's not it's not a uh, MVP of the 35 and older crowd, but the fact that we keep seeing him doing the things he's doing at this age, um, you know I think he's gonna have a, a really strong candidacy. Where do you guys see LeBron? He's he's been good defensively again this year, right? Where it's it's amazing that after a couple years or a few years, where his defense kind of took hits in the regular season that the last two years, I mean, last year he was really good defensively throughout the regular season. And he's been a big part of their defensive success too. I just think he's a, he's a big cog in their defensive team. That's where their identity starts. I mean, I know they have two superstars on that team, but that's where their identity starts. And he's a huge cog in that. So he's been, he's been good for them defensively. Uh, I don't know. He's LeBron shooting 41% from three too, by the way. That's, and LeBron is shooting 41 from three on like a ridiculous amount of attempts. Right. It's not like he's, you know, pulled back his attempts. He's and he's taking deep threes now, which I, I don't I bet you he's not making those at, a, at an incredibly successful rate because I feel like he always misses those. But he's expanded his range. He's clearly a better shooter. It's like, my goodness, like it, is 39 year old LeBron going to be just an unbelievable shooter? Is that is that where we're heading to? Where it's he's just going to continue to average twenty five seven and seven because he's going to turn into an unbelievable. It's going to be a Tom Brady thing where he, he adds I'll, you know four chips on the back end of thirty five. I mean, it really feels that way. It's, doesn't go, it? it's going down the Tom Brady path, and you could tell LeBron. You know, LeBron's tweeting about Tom Brady. Last <laughs> night. You, could, you could tell he's like kind of watching that. Like, yeah, I love how he and he's never shy to self promote, but he hashtagged Goat Talk, and I was like, oh, I, apparently yeah. we've we've got a verdict in the Goat discussion. Um, yeah. So, so LeBron, by the way, is shooting forty one percent from three, which is a career high, and he's taking six point seven attempts a game, which is also a career high. Yeah. So it's just it's crazy that we're at that point. That's where what you do when you're just, old, Fred. You just jack it up, you know. 
I, I know, <laughs> but the the dude is just like that was the remember when it was like, no, you want him taking that shot. Yeah. And now it's like I don't know what shot. Mike you Brown want him every, anytime you mention LeBron to Mike Brown, uh, Warriors assistant now, he talks about like they used to go under when I was coaching LeBron, that, that was the scheme. Go under on him. And now anyway, uh the what I believe um helps LeBron the most in this MVP conversation is Anthony Davis is not really having that good of a season. Right. For his standards. He's beat up, his defensive, you know like disruption numbers are down um his you know like he still is an all-star but he's just remember going into the seasons particularly off last year's playoffs where you could argue anthony davis was the best laker in the playoffs the thought was okay finally lebron will pass kind of best player mantle on his team over a little bit be kind of one b to anthony davis's one a and i don't remember i think i picked Doncic for mvp before the season by the way that is not going well um but Davis was right up there in my mind of like, I could see Davis having an MVP run. And the fact that he's not having a good season, yet the Lakers are as good as they are, just speaks to what LeBron is doing. And yeah, I to me, I might have him one right now over Embiid and Jokic. 25, almost eight boards and seven. I'm sorry, almost eight assists and 7.7 boards. Uh, so no, I like LeBron's candidacy. Uh, I'm going to wrap on this, but Slater, give us more. We, we had more pick, pick a sides, but we're going long. We're going to get out of here. Uh, but the Steph thing is real. And I, and again, it's a little bit like Jokic. Like, okay, if Denver figures it out, if they crawl their way up the standings, and that's a big if, if the Warriors can can actually, you know, get into a 6-5 territory in the West. It, that seems uh, like a pretty tough road to hoe, but if they can do that, uh, you know, do you think Steph can sneak into this conversation here? Statistically, yes. I yeah. Mean, like you said, they he has a an argument as long as, you know, his best argument would probably be, hey, look at that Russell Westbrook season where what did the Thunder finish that year, like fifth, and he still won MVP just because of his stats. But um, Steph... Steve Kerr said it the other day. He might be better than ever. He, he the conditioning is what's stunning. He's played every game. He's playing a ton of minutes. He's, re, I mean, you know how he moves off ball, and he is stronger. Go look at his unanimous MVP season. Go look at the highlights when he's hitting the forty footer, and he's as good as as any shooter's ever been. He's much skinnier than he is now, and I do not mean that in a he's been eating too much. Like the guy is built now. He's uh, you know, driving to the rim, and, and, and Steve Kerr used the term like fending off defenders better. He's finishing at the rim better than ever and then it's not like you know getting bulkier in the shoulders and biceps has hurt his three-point shooting the guy has made 25 more threes than any other player right now at least as of the time we're talking i think believe he's up to 111 already made threes 42 43 percent on threes he, he i think he's made 12. how does that pace uh compare uh it's it's obviously apples to oranges in terms of the number Four, of 402 games. 402 was the number he hit on that unanimous season right um which was ridiculous now again the fact is we're playing 72 games this season instead of 82 in the nba so that will naturally cut down you know 10 but i think I'd have to look at what it exactly per game, but it's near that. I mean, he's on pace, I think, to, to make over 300 in a 72-game season. Um, so which, I've, I've got it called up right here. Yeah. He he averaged uh, 5.1 a makes, game yeah. in the year he at 402, and this year he's averaging, he is averaging 4.8 yeah. makes a game. Yeah. So, I mean, unbelievably similar. Yeah, and he's defending well. I mean, Draymond Green mentioned that. Um, he... You know, he, they're trying to be a top 10 defense and he's one of the better 
all, you know, defenders, which has always kind of been a knock on him. Um, also, an, he, an elite shoulder shimmy. He showed that the other night. Yes. Yeah. The one thing, <laughs> yes. The one thing that I would say, which is bigger scope from a Warriors perspective, is he, you know, and this is along the lines of LeBron, we're talking about this absurdly extended prime. Steph Curry mentioned Tom Brady the other day. He wants a big, long, elongated prime. And it's starting to look like that is more realistic, the way he has kept himself in shape. And still, he's about to turn 33 next month. He, to me, doesn't look like he's going to you know, lose much of a step the next few seasons. And that extends a potential title window if the Warriors go all in with some of their assets. All right, so Joe Lacob likes your commentary. Um, gentlemen, thank you as always. Fred, we got through a whole podcast and didn't ask you about Bradley Beal and how he felt about his wizard life. Can you believe it? I but until now, <laughs> he went he went one of fourteen the other day. We we we, we could, could pump the brakes for a second. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. All right, gentlemen, you got busy days. Thank you as always. That was fun. Appreciate you. Talk to you next week.